Morning, everybody, and welcome to Code Concepts with Rachel Patterson and Pete Roquet. Uh, today, we have a special guest, Tim Schneider from AG's Learning. Uh, Tim's going to uh, talk a little bit about leadership and the importance of it. Uh, he teaches nationally, um, goes to different jurisdictions. He teaches uh, uh, executive coaching. He has a couple. He's written a couple books. Uh, latest one is A Heart for Leadership. Um, you know, he sent me a copy of Lead Wealth a year back. I loved it. Um, and also Beyond Engagement, he also has that book. Um, with that, uh, Mr. Tim Schneider, can you introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Pete. And thank you, Rachel, for uh, having me today. It's a uh, quite an honor to be uh, with both of you. Uh, my name is Tim Schneider. I am the uh, CEO and founder of Aegis Learning. We're one of the largest private training providers in the uh, Western United States. We travel nationally and internationally to, uh, delivering leadership development programs to organizations of all sizes and all types. Uh, we've been incredibly blessed to have a 15-year-plus relationship uh, in the uh, code enforcement and the uh, uh, building inspection industry uh, that started with EDUCODE, the national uh, education program that's done here in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, uh, 15 years ago. And we've loved every single one of our interactions uh, within this industry. Uh, from that, we've developed some uh, additional relationships with both municipalities and uh, political subdivisions, providing training for them and their code enforcement teams and their uh, building uh, department teams. Um, as Pete mentioned, I've uh, written three books about leadership. Uh, I have a PhD in organizational development, a MBA, and dual bachelor's degrees in psychology and finance. I make my home in Las Vegas, Nevada with my beautiful wife and my 13-year-old stepdaughter, which is kind of an interesting adventure in applied <laughs> leadership principles, uh, and also my constant companion over the last nine years, Sydney the uh, Corgi, who is also the director of security at Aegis Learning. So that's <laughs> me in a bit of a nutshell. And again, I am just thrilled to be with you guys uh, uh, today. I've, I've gotten the uh, luxury of knowing Pete for a few years, both, uh, and, and for those of you out there, there is actually a real live Pete. You know, he is not just an internet meme. He is not just a, you know, a series of four or five LinkedIn posts a day. There is a real live Pete and I have met him and I have the pictures to prove it. So I am uh, incredibly, incredibly thrilled to be with you guys. So thank you again. So, so quick story how I, I actually ran into Tim. So, you know, I've seen Tim on here on LinkedIn and and um, and saw some of his stuff, but I never really, you know, I, I see a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. And one day I was teaching a code enforcement class at EduCode and I was teaching. And, you know, during during my class, I'm a very kind of serious sometimes, you know, I tend to joke here and there. But next door was everybody just cracking up. I'm like, what is this thing? So, you know, during the break, I went and snuck my head and I think he's like juggling or something. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing, but the whole group is like, doing all sorts of like animal noises. And I'm like, what the heck is this? You know, and, and you know, after my class, I went and peeked in and sat in the class for a little bit. And I was like, wow, this is awesome stuff. And I said, you know what? I need to get on board with this guy because this guy really, you know, when, when he delivers the message of leadership and, and teamwork, which is a big component of leadership, is he makes it engaging. He makes it fun. He makes it interesting. And I just thought, I'm like, wow. After that, I just became an instant fan. And, you know, I see my edge code here and there. And every time I can snap a picture with this guy, I'm like, hey, come here. We got a, a selfie. 
So thank you, and- thank you, Pete. And I I have to tell you that you know there's some there's some actual science associated with that that madness a little bit that you described. Uh, adult humans, uh, and, and it doesn't matter the subject that you're talking about, but adult humans do not learn well in a grim environment. Uh, you know, we started down this path in 1992 and, and, you know, certainly made our fair share of mistakes along the way. But one of the things we figured out really, really quick is people are going to learn much better when they are engaged in a facilitative kind of approach, when they are part of the thing. And they're also going to learn so much better if it doesn't sound grim and like you're pulling a wisdom tooth out of the back of their head. You know, they, they, people want to have fun and laugh and along with that becomes powerful learning and we've never done the death by powerpoint thing and that's always you know quite on purpose and you know sometimes when we go into a place people say well where's your powerpoint and it's like yeah don't don't have it don't own it won't own it uh just simply because that's not the environment that people learn best in Sure. Well, I'm super excited to have you on today. Um, just kind of doing some research about you, uh, learning about the whole package and not just looking at leadership as, you know, one person, one attribute, but seeing you um, put it into a whole package. I'm just really excited to hear about that. So thanks for being on today. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate that. And I'm especially pleased to know that Pete has friends too. That uh, So that, <laughs> that too warms my heart a bit. I can't say Pete does indeed have a friend. Yeah. So, so uh, Tim, so what, what got you started with, you know, this whole leadership uh, program? I mean, how, how'd you get started? You know, so was, a, was it a kid and you were just, I mean, what was it? You know, that's uh, that's kind of funny. It, it, I, I was always, as you can guess, a little bit on the outgoing side. I never shied away from, you know, standing up and, and, and talking in front of a group. But it wasn't until uh, I, I was in corporate America until the mid-1990s, and I had done my job in corporate America so well that our organization was purchased, and it was right then and there that I decided that I would no longer allow any corporate entity to decide my fate. If I was going to eat, I was going to eat, you know, based on my own work and my own effort. Uh, If we weren't going to eat, I'm going to be able to look in the mirror and say that was because of a, you know, a failure of mine, not by some, you know, giant decision making that was done in New York or Minneapolis or something like that. And so we hung out the shingle in uh, 1992. I began doing this full time in 1994 and the research associated with it, the behavioral elements associated with uh, leadership and leadership science shortly thereafter. And it you know, there's no such thing in the world, as both of you know, there's no such thing in the world as an overnight success. And indeed, that was the case. It took uh, a few years and a book or so to kind of develop uh, the kind of recognition and, and the momentum uh, to be recognized as a, you know, a subject matter expert. We had some articles that were published in Harvard Business Review and things like that along the way. Uh, but that really was kind of the start. I, I, I can remember our first classes at the community college. I remember our very first customer or two. And what's really been cool about the journey, too, is that uh, it's all been by, you know, kind of a referral network and by word of mouth. So, you know, when, when I talk to a lot of code enforcement officers and one of the common things is, you know, sometimes they're afraid to make that transition or plunge 
you know, as you know, I was in the government sector for many years and I transitioned over to the uh, private sector and people are like, what about your pension or what about this? And what about that? I'm like, you know what? I, I get to do what I love today. I get to hang out with people like Rachel, Cecilia, you, you know, um, Marcus Kellum, Greg Smith, uh, Kelvin Bean, all, all these guys. I get to hang out with industry people that are making an impact in the industry. And I love to do that. And I get to do that full time. That's my job. And not only that, but I get to help jurisdictions on the way along, you know, and and and, and it, it's fulfilling. It's one of those things that um, that I took that I took that as an opportunity that I probably wouldn't, you know, that was everybody's dream job. And I'm like, you know what, I'm taking it. I have 15 years to retirement. But for you, what is actually the thing that made you make that decision like inside of you? You know, I had a overwhelming desire uh, to make a difference in people's lives, to make a difference in organizations' lives, if you will, even though they're not organic living uh, creatures, but to make a difference, to make things better, to, to you know, allow that to, to equip and to allow that leader to be successful and, and to enhance uh, the lives of the team members that work for them. And, you know, ultimately, and, and you know, some people will roll their eyes and say that that's cheesy, but you know what? That is our little stone to make a ripple in creating a better world. You know, if if we equip leaders to be better engaging of their team, to provide better feedback, to really make the lives of their team members better, that has such a circular uh, impact and such a powerful impact on the communities in which we live. And, you know, whether they stay at the organization they're at or whether they, you know, grow their leadership in other areas like you've done, Pete, uh, it really does have a significant, significant positive impact. And that's what trips my trigger. It is all about making that impact and in a small kind of tiny little way every day, just making the world a little teeny bit better. I think and we can you, all appreciate that. Yeah. And you have a comment from Cecilia Muela who says it's not cheesy at all. It's rather so necessary. Well, Cecilia, I agree. Uh, you know, and it, it, not a lot of people uh, like to kind of follow that circle around. But, you know, the little things we do, saying good morning to our team members, you know, expressing our gratitude and our appreciation and providing positive feedback, providing true empowerment in the workplace. You know what? That trickle down effect means that that team member is going to go home. They're going to be much more engaged and connected in their family units. You know, even simple stuff like they're going to hold the door at 7-Eleven. They're going to say thank you to the clerk. All of those things have impact. And, you know, I'm not going to ever represent that those are big ripples or a giant tidal wave but that ripple when done each and every day sure has impact in the world in which we live absolutely tim you talk about impact and you know in leadership that we have to make an impact because otherwise we're not leaders right so it sounds like really you you're fostering a culture of that when you're going into a, a setting like this what's the first thing that you're looking for when you're working with an organization or a group you know, that that's a, Rachel, that is an outstanding question. One of the very first things that I look for uh, and that kind of helps us guide our course of action and our recommended course of action with organizations, private sector and public sector, is the degree of engagement and the amount of regularly 
applied excellent leadership skills at the most senior level of an organization. You know, when the CEO or the county manager or the, you know, whoever it is, whoever the highest level of the organization, when they're all in, you know, when they are fully connected and, you know, really all about developing that, you know what, I got to tell you, that is an incredibly positive sign and that makes our work significantly easier. I've been so lucky and we have one great customer right now that their CEO and founder is just all about this. He's all about the individual growth and, and leadership development. Uh, but then to contrast that, there are also some leaders, uh, senior level leaders that, you know, it's good for you. You know, this training, Rachel, is good for you. But you know what? I'm the county manager. I don't have to do that. I'm the CEO of Four Leaf. I don't have to do that. And there's a lot that really aren't as all in. And that that that's a really big sign to us about the overall health and the overall culture of that organization. Yeah, that, that's that's awesomely said. So, and I think Mr. Rios agrees with his comment with, especially in this new work environment, we have to be mindful of our staff and be people focused. Um, that's so important. You know what, Mr. Rios, uh, you could not be more right. Leadership is about people. Management is about processes and inventory and checking boxes and tracking whatever. But leadership is all about people. You know, if, if, if you want to learn how to, uh, you know, track something or a flow or something like that, well, I tell you what, we are not your people. But if you want to get the most out of your folks and get the most out of yourself, we are your people because it is. It is a people-centric operation. You know, it, it's about the diversity of our people. It's about the age demographics of our people. It's about appealing to their motivations and, and, and what makes them tick. And it's about developing a real live connectivity and individual connectivity between leader and team member. So and Rachel, said- and Rachel, I have to tell you something too. I appreciate more than you'll ever know your ability to multitask and read me the questions because it is all I can do with my little brain to stay focused on <laughs> looking at the screen and talking. So Ra- Rachel, I, I mean, if, if, if Pete gives you nothing more than that role, I am thrilled to death and you're doing awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. I love hearing about this because leadership is so important, Mr. Schneider. It just really is. Um, you were saying, you know, it starts at a senior level, though. So what happens when you're in a setting where you have, you know, a bunch of line level folks that want and need that leadership? They're you know, earning for it, but they don't necessarily have that support at the senior level. What would you say in the situation like that? You know, we end up, and it's one of the things that I've uh, taken some pride at, and we've certainly been consistent at over the years, is we're not afraid to have some difficult dialogues with senior leaders and mid-level leaders in an organization to say, you know what, this this training for your frontline supervisors is awesome, and they're going to have some benefits from it. You're going to see some value coming from it, but it really needs to be engaged at all levels of the organization. And so we take some pride in being a truth teller when it comes to those things. And we'll also tell an organization, you know, very directly that, you know, there are parts of their organization that are disconnected or dysfunctional or not supportive of good leadership at a frontline level. And Rachel, what you described there is a pretty common phenomenon. Let's bring in supervisor training. That'll fix our ills. Well, you know what? It, it, it has great value. 
but it's not going to fix everything if every level of leadership isn't engaged in it. So part of our job is to have to have those dialogues and say, you know what? We need some stuff for the directors. We need some stuff for the senior leaders. Uh, this isn't just about those frontline supervisors. I think that's healthy. And I appreciate that just being one of those people in those, that, you know, that position in life. So um, taking that hard conversation on, you know, for, for those folks, they, they greatly appreciate that. So know that. <laughs> well, and Rachel, if I may too, uh, some organizations really have, and uh, some of you may have been in these organizations, involved in these organizations, but they actually have counterproductive systems in place. Uh, and I don't mean IT systems, but processes and, you know, policies and things like that. But they have counterproductive processes that for good leadership out there at the front line, you know, we'll, we'll teach and coach that front line. But then there's a policy that says you don't have the authority to make that decision. You have to run that up and get, you know, two levels above that approval on an annual review. And I got to tell you, that is not helpful to overall leadership development or health of an organization. Right. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. So, Tim, what, one of the one of the things, um, you know, that I, I learned a long time ago, you know, when you have an army, you have your generals have to be great leaders. And then sometimes you have your captains that, you know, have to be great leaders and your sergeants that have to be great leaders. And then sometimes you have a, just a squad leader that. You know, and it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, not the top ha has to be a, a super excellent leader. Sometimes you just need leadership at a frontline level. And and one of the things that I see is a lot of folks, there's a lot of leadership out there. And, you know, I'm a pretty good empath. So I can feel when people are motivated and, and willing, but sometimes people just get beat up and, you know, and, and, and they, they, they just kind of want to quit. So what, what do you say to those folks that know that their agencies could be better, but they just don't have that, that, that drive. I mean, they have the drive. They just don't have that drive to, for that fight of leadership. Yeah. You know what? Uh, one of the most common toxic elements in any organization, not only is it a common toxic element, but it also becomes a, a common uh, restorative factor is the lack of meaningful, regular, positive feedback in a working environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and simply what I mean by that is, you know, Rachel does a good job and then nothing happens. You know, she doesn't hear a word about it. And then that's further compounded in so many cases by if Rachel does something poor, my goodness, we are on top of that like that. And she hears about it instantly. That is a recipe to suck the life out of any individual, any team, and any leader. Now, with that kind of set as a framework, the most commonly ignored in a positive, from a positive feedback perspective are line level and mid-level leaders. They just plain and simply don't hear, hey, Rachel, you're doing a good job. Hey, Rachel, thank you so much for doing that. They just don't hear that very much. And I tell you, that will lead to burnout in it just so so quickly and they and, and so many leaders and painfully we've seen it you know pete you described it real well they develop this why bother kind of attitude mm -hmm. you know they, they they come they want to do the right thing they fight the good fight but man they have been beaten to a pulp been told no they get no positive feedback and now three, four years into it, they are just, man, going through the motions. So part of our job, part of my job 
is to re-energize that and to reignite that back, you know, not only with them individually, but reignite it back within their organization and create a culture and a structure so it could be perpetuated. Uh, the other thing I'll tell you about leaders, and I know a lot of folks have lived this lifetime too, related to burnout, leaders just aren't so good at taking care of themselves. You know, that, that taking a day off when they're not feeling it. You know, a lot of leaders think they have to drag themselves into work when they're, you know, half dead. Uh, taking the time that they should to restore, to take care of themselves. Uh, you know, quite bluntly, uh, workaholics don't make very good leaders. Uh, they just plain and simply have that high burnout factor, high frustration factor. Uh, and they just don't do a good job of taking care of themselves. And for us as leaders to learn that, that there's other segments of our lives that we got to take care of is a pretty important dynamic, too. And, and Tim, one of the things, and I'm guilty of that myself. I know a couple of people on the chat are guilty because they are workaholics. Yes, yes, you, yes you are, Pete. Let me make that real clear to everybody <laughs> on there. Yes, you are. But, you know, you know, you know, what's funny, um, one of the arts that I've learned is the art of delegation, you know, and, and partnering with people, people like Rachel. I'm like, hey, Rachel, can we do this? And or Cecilia, can we do this? And and we, we do a lot of things together as a team. So it loosens our loads, you know, and using effective tools like, you know, like a like a social media scheduler. You know, where I'm not, you know, people are like, why are you posting at two in the morning? I'm like, that's a scheduler. <laughs> I'm not, I'm just posting stuff. You know, creating the content is the, is, is the, the hard part, but it, it gets scheduled out. And, you know, I use these type of things. Um, but when, when it comes to, you know, people in the workplace, a lot of times they feel like they're giving it 100% and they're just not getting, you know, any, they get to a point where like, what's the point? What's the point? And, and you know, and I hear this, I, I listen to forums, I, I watch people, I listen to people, and that's a common thing that people are like, why do I care so much? And wh what do you say to somebody that just wants to stop caring, but they can't stop caring because they care too much? Yeah, you uh, you actually identified two phenomenons uh, there, Pete. Uh, the first thing that you talked about is that, you know, kind of capitalizing back on that, you know, workaholic thing. There's a, a phenomenon we've identified it and, and, and talked quite a bit about it called savior syndrome, where that that leader or that person, you know, wrongfully believes that they have to take care of and do everything themselves. You know, and they fail to delegate and empower others. They fail to form those strategic relationships and partnerships that you described. And that can be a significant, significant factor in that burnout. Now that why bother thing, you know, why do I care? Why do I bother kind of thing is, you know, pretty prevalent. You know, I hate to say it, but it's pretty prevalent in the, in the public sector. Uh, public sector creates some systems where promotions are much more based on longevity uh, than they really are core skills or core potential sets. Uh, which is different in many times from the private sector. That can be incredibly discouraging to folks. Uh, one of the other uh, difficult transitions that a lot of public folks, uh, public sector folks deal with is, you know, every election cycle, uh, they end up with a new set of governance and a new set of priorities that may not have been in, align in alignment with what they were doing before. That too can be very, very discouraging. What you need in those environments, Pete, is 
a leader. I mean, as blunt as I can say that, you need a leader that can have the connectivity with their team, that can have and provide the positive feedback that they need on the day-to-day, everyday little victories that are out there to help those team members restore their, you know, kind of faith in what they're doing. You also need a leader that can connect the vision. You know, and in code enforcement, it is if you do it, it's pretty easy. You know what? We're protecting our community. But a leader has to be able to articulate that. A leader has to be able to say that to team members on multiple times, not just walk in and say, you know what? Another day, another dollar, you know, another day in code enforcement paradise. That doesn't cut it. Leader needs to make that connection between the real high level purpose of what we're doing and that that individual tasks that our code enforcement officers and our building officials and building inspectors and those people are doing, they have to draw that line to that higher level. Man, we're doing good for our community. We have we are adding value. We are helping people. We are uh, uh, really, really doing a great job for our community. Leader needs to be able to articulate that, say that, say that on a regular basis. And, and I think in code enforcement, it's so important that we do that, you know, just getting out of our trucks and communicating with people and introducing ourselves and just being that conduit for them to for them to say, hey, I didn't know this or how can I fix this and give them options. Because sending a letter sometimes it's 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 people don't read one people don't read two people like, you know, they get that and they feel targeted or singled out. A lot of times it's like, hey, you know what? I received a concern regarding X, Y, and Z. And maybe you didn't know this. And just have a dialogue with people, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a very big believer that in the whole education of, you know, of the uh, private sector, uh, public sector. You know, you have groups that, that think that, oh, my God, you know, every person's going to, like, want to attack you. And it's not the case. I mean, people really don't know these rules. And a lot of times it's being informed because most people are embarrassed. So you as a code enforcement officer need to take that leadership role and educate them and say, hey, this is how we can help you solve your issues. Right. You uh, uh, you again, Pete, I don't know if you do this intentionally, but you again hit on two incredibly, incredibly powerful uh, points there. First of all, communication is foundational to leadership. It is the first competency of leadership. It is the most predictive of success in leadership. And communication is also foundational in success in a team environment. It's foundational to all success in a relationship. Communication becomes absolutely key. And your role uh, in in code enforcement, in, in, in the building industry, your ability to communicate is going to be absolutely paramount to your success. This is not one of those jobs where the strong, silent type should really apply because it's not going to work that well for you. And the other thing that you hit on too, Pete, and it's so timely, I was with a group uh, earlier this week in a full day session about the transition from enforcement to almost consultancy that goes on in your industry. You know, that this is no longer about cut your grass because we said Mm-hmm. It's about communicating with those stakeholders, in this case, a homeowner, communicating with them and talking to them about the whys, about what needs to happen. And it really is a pretty significant shift that's been occurring for the last four or five years. 
the code enforcement and building officials that get that and are really making that transition, man, I tell you what, they have a huge impact in their in in your industry. And those are the folks, those are the organizations that are really run by leaders out there too. The ones that are a little bit stuck out there, you know, still still loving to flash their badge and stuff like that, they're having a little bit more struggle in that transitional piece. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of the education needs to be early, just early, you know, um, and, and I'll give a quick plug. Uh, Rachel's working on a code enforcement for kids. You know, she did a Fiona the Fox uh, video where she talks about picking up snow. And, you know, I recently started a TikTok with my six-year-old on daily walks that we do. And, you know, and, and I ask him questions and we just happened to catch a stormwater illicit discharge the other day. And, he, you know, he I was explaining to him that the fishes, you know, eat that garbage and stuff. So he's like, oh, that's bad. And he tells the kid, hey, that guy, that's illegal. You know, and it, it's pretty funny. But, you know, I, I think letting people know, because the guy doing that probably wasn't aware. But now my six-year-old's aware of that. So when he sees it, he knows that that's not supposed to happen. You know, when he gets older, he's going to know not to do that, you know, uh, you know, dump water, an illicit stuff into the storm drain. Now, you know, and, and I'll give credit to ICC for revamping their technical trade program where they're trying to um, bring that education back to the high schools and to the colleges because there's a big gap. You know, if you see, you know, what's the common thing that people say? It's a bunch of old white guys, you know, that with no succession planning. But if you look, there's a lot of leaders, you know, right now that, that are ready and willing to step. I think we have the youngest new ICC board member that just, was just uh, put on the board. I mean, I think he's in his 30s. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. You know, and you have folks like Rachel that are out there, Cecilia Muela that's out there, just doing these things and working with the, with the organizations to make sure that we continue to promote the advancement of, of our industry. And, you know, you know, yeah. you know a couple of things uh, that, that you pointed out there, Pete, uh, unlearning is harder than learning. You know, uh, generating new skills and, and new thoughts is relatively easy for most people. What is incredibly challenging and incredibly hard is to put aside old habits and old skills that, you know, just absolutely plain and simply don't serve us well or don't uh, serve us as well as they could. And that becomes a challenge for a lot of folks. So you're right. Education early becomes a key, but I'm going to put an asterisk on this. The technical stuff is awesome. Love that. I love what ICC is doing. And I love what the code enforcement industry is doing. But somewhere along the line, we've got to include some people-based stuff in that too because our stakeholders, our team members, it is still a people-based business at the end of the day. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to, to share about a comment you made there too, one of the observations about being an old guy and being with uh, Educode for over 15 years you know what I've got to watch and I'm thrilled about it. And I love telling people about this at every opportunity I can. 15 years ago, when I started uh, doing classes at Educode, Pete, what you described was absolutely right on. Old white guys, some of them <laughs> crusty old white guys that had been in the construction industry 20 years, been doing this for, you know, whatever. But I got to tell you, the one thing that's been awesome to watch over these 15 years, the, the female diversity uh, there was uh, the classes, the leadership classes we did last year at Educode, which drew about 80 folks uh, per class, uh, which was, you know, standing room only, absolutely incredible. But 
it was about half female. And that is such an awesome evolution to watch. And people like Rachel and, and people like Celia and, and, and you know, they, they tend to be the face of that. But there's a big trend moving in. Uh, the, the populations are getting more diverse. The populations are getting younger. The populations are getting more female. And I got to tell you, that is going to serve you guys so, so, so incredibly well moving forward as an industry set. It was not sustainable as it was 15 years ago. But the evolution, uh, purposefully or not, that you've made uh, is really going to serve you guys very, very well. More challenging for our leaders, but it's going to serve you incredibly well. Yeah, you bring up great points, great points. I mean, with just the newly elected ICC board president, Miss Cindy Davis, I mean, you see right there a shift and a lot of females are empowered to become leaders because they're seeing more female leaders out there. So that's absolutely powerful. One of the things, I've, uh, Rachel, I've watched from the sidelines a little bit uh, because I'm not, you know, that connected to the ICC, but the board shadowing program is absolutely awesome. You know, that ability to connect and mentor uh, in that environment with a board member. And I got to tell you, if you're if you know about that program, that's a replicatable model that you could do at your workplace. You know, you could create a shadowing a mentoring program that could have a significant impact on some of your emerging leaders that you have in your organization. And here's the coolest part about that. The cost to your organization. Zero, yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. A little bit of effort, a little bit of time. You know, it, it you know, it just it it really can have such a significant impact on the lives of emerging and growing leaders. Uh, and, 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 and a lot of leaders think, you know, yeah, that's a good thing. I'll do it when I have time. Stop. Prioritize people development ahead of getting your spreadsheet and report done. Uh, do the right thing by your people. And, and there's, there's a, you know, you talk about low hanging fruit. There's an easy one. Develop a mentoring program for some of your emerging talent. Uh, and, and, and you'll have the same impact that ICC is having with their board shadowing program. Right. You know, Tim, I actually can speak from experience. A couple of us on this call, Cece and I, myself, um, I got to experience the board shadow program this year uh, with the 2021 board shadows. Um, I got to go and experience the empowerment, um, the unbelievable successes and the genuine and true connections that you make with these folks. So I couldn't agree more, to be honest. And, you know, thanks to Cece for me getting to experience this program. It's something that you just relish in if you see it the way that it was intended to be shown. You bring it back, like you said, into your own organizations. Um, even if it's smaller, you know, smaller programs such as this, um, I would have to say, like I said, speaking from experience, it's powerful and it's it's quite amazing. Yeah, and, and, and good for you. And I, I have to tell you, I haven't been around a lot of the ICC board members. There's there's three of them. I've been around a little bit. And all of them are outstanding leaders. And I tell you what, to be able to draw from them a bit is absolutely, absolutely incredible. And, and, and bravo to uh, ICC for doing that. But I think the key learning there is not just to look at it and say, what a great program, how cool, but it's what a great program, how cool how can I bring that back to my place? Right. How, how can I, how can I complete that cycle and now do that for somebody else? Exactly. You know, you know, and, and, and there's where the real power of those things uh, really, really exists. 
Yeah, you know, being it, empowered to do that. Sorry, Pete, didn't in, mean to interrupt you, but yeah, being empowered to do that. Once you leave those sessions and leave that experience, um, you know, myself, you're just empowered to want to do more and give back. Yeah, and, 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 and then that's an interesting piece, Rachel, of, of self-management and emotional intelligence that we have to uh, uh, have to have is that, yeah, we all have get this little, these moments of, you know, kind of fired up and ready to go. Right. But then we have to self-manage and turn that into action, turn that into reality and make sure that fire, even though initially it's probably going to drop off a little bit, doesn't fade away completely out there. Right. You know, it, it, then that becomes kind of an on us kind of proposition. Absolutely. You know, you know what, Tim, one of the things that code enforcement officers can do, and, you know, I've done it successfully in a couple of jurisdictions, is create a volunteer program. And a lot of times, you know, me as a supervisor, I delegate that to my officers to train these new guys. And that gives them a sense of having to take that leadership role with these new uh, folks. And, and, you know, I get I get to kind of train them to be future, you know, supervisors or, or something like that, because now they're responsible for somebody else. And the trainees get the experience of learning how to be a part of our industry and learning how to take direction and learning where to look and and, and I think having that robust program is just an awesome, awesome, you know, thing to, to have. So if anybody's interested, there's volunteer programs out there. Reach out to me and I will send you a, a template and or a program, a digital program. You know, uh, from a bigger kind of perspective there, Pete, anytime you have the ability to increase your influence and ability to interact with stakeholders, and that in your case, uh, that's volunteers. Uh, and anytime you get the opportunity to test drive somebody in a new leadership role, that's awesome. You know, to, to you know, you're going to leave the office for, you know, go to Pittsburgh for the, you know, national conference or whatever you're going to do, and then let somebody else be the acting leader or something like that. Anytime you get those opportunities, take them, run with them and rotate them. Make sure everybody has an opportunity to do that that wants to. But even if you're just taking a day off or a couple of days off, make somebody the acting lead, make somebody the acting supervisor, make somebody the acting director, whatever it is, but test drive what you have. You know, you can sit around a conference room till you're blue in the face and talk about leadership and supervision. But until you see somebody actually in there doing it, there is nothing like that. And so every chance you get, and, and those are great little opportunities. There's one other learning that comes from those two. You know, sometimes there's those, that, that population of people that, yeah, I want to be a supervisor. I want to be the manager. I want to, I want to run this place. And then they do it for a couple of days. And then it's suddenly like, no, no, never want to do that again. <laughs> I don't like people. I just, you know what? I don't want to, I no, I'm done with that. And even though you might not like that learning, it still is powerful learning because not everybody's going to make it in a leadership role. And, and you know, you bring an interesting point about that. Um, it, while I was in the uh, first city I was in, I was skyrocketing, you know, excelling, and I thought I was going to be the next supervisor. And they put somebody that had no code experience, and it totally jaded me, you know. And I, I was so, so mad. And then I, so I left that jurisdiction and went and sought an opportunity elsewhere. But in retrospect, looking at it now, I was not ready for that position at that time. I recognize that now because, A, I didn't have the people skills. B, I didn't know how to mentor others. And, and three, I really, you just wanted to be the guy to be the guy. 
you know, it, it, there was really no reason why I should have been the supervisor at that time. And now it's like, you know, now, nowadays I, I look at who, who I am going to court next to be the next supervisor. I, I'm always looking for the next leader. And, and I think once you get to a certain point in your life, you just love molding new leaders. It just, it, it just becomes like, I, I don't know if you're addicted to it, but I love finding diamonds in a rough and having them work and having them do things and having them reinvigorate themselves. Dr. Uh, Dr. Abraham Maslow, who is the father of motivational science, in his pyramid of uh, the pyramid that everybody's familiar with is five levels of hierarchy of motivational needs. Maslow actually developed seven levels, and the 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 top level, the level above self actualization, is called transcendence. And Maslow described transcendence as the ability to bring other people along with you on your motivational journey, which described in many cases that mentoring growth and blossoming process. And there really is, if you're into the leadership thing, there is nothing more satisfying than developing spending time growing and developing other folks and then watching them all on their own blossom in front of you. That is an incredibly, incredibly satisfying thing to watch. And, you know, whether you get to watch it daily or whether you get to watch it periodically, the one thing you can't deny yourself is that opportunity to feel that. So no matter where we are in our leadership careers, find an opportunity to mentor, find an opportunity to make a difference, you know, in somebody's life, and then have the discipline to kind of step back and watch them just grow and, and bloom in front of your eyes. It is absolutely amazing to watch. It excites I, me that there's people like you and, and Pete in the world, Mr. Schneider. I'm excited that Pete and I live far enough away that we don't have to <laughs> see each other that incredibly often. Uh, I love it. A couple of times it. a year at the most. Uh, people invest in other people's success. It's just refreshing and it's it's a beautiful thing. So thank you for what you do. Uh, well, and, 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 and Rachel, thank you for saying that. But you know what is really interesting about that? Whether you make a living from it, you know, as we do, or you're a practitioner, you know, operating in an environment, you know, you're the code enforcement supervisor at the city of North Las Vegas or, you know, whatever it is. We all have those exact same opportunities to make those differences in people's lives. Uh, it's not about, you know, being anything special or, or having a certain job title. We all have those opportunities to do that. But the ones that do it, man, they're the ones that are the real leaders out there. The ones that say, yeah, you know what? Mentoring somebody else is going to take a couple hours out of my life. But you know what? That's well worth that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, hey, Nathan, I just saw your comment there. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned before, I'm, I'm not very good at reading those, but uh, yours was so straightforward. I saw it. Uh, you're absolutely right. You are, you could not be farther from the truth. Uh, I, I played uh, baseball uh, for a paycheck for a few years early in my life, and I still play uh, baseball today. And there are so many parts of the game of baseball that to me are, are you know, at the stage in my life are just absolutely intuitive. Uh, I could do it with my eyes closed. I know exactly what it's about. But yet when you then try to coach a little league team like I did with my children, my grown <laughs> boys, you realize that experts, people that are good at what they do, 
oftentimes do not make the best teachers and instructors. And, you know, experts tend to take shortcuts. Experts tend to be very assumptive in their communication patterns. And we have to learn as leaders that I might not always be the best teacher of a particular concept because I am so close and so expert in it that I take shortcuts and miss things that people might know. So uh, sometimes the best leaders are able to back off and say, you know what, I am not going to be the one that teaches you this. I'm going to find somebody else in our organization that does, but I'm going to make sure that I facilitate that happening. And you're right, Nathan, teaching uh, uh, teaching is a lot harder than doing. Uh, sometimes doing we can do just absolutely mechanically. Uh, while teaching, we have to kind of step back, turn our brain, slow down our brain, mm-hmm. and learn how to articulate things at a very, you know, kind of simplistic, low kind of level out there. Right. And, and one, one of the things I, I want to add is, you know, practicing this, is it, it has to be a daily thing, you know, just like, you know, uh, working out. You can't work out once a, once a week and just say, hey, I'm going to be fit the rest of my life. Practicing constant being constantly there, mentoring people. It's, it's a constant thing. It, it isn't just a once in a while thing. Let me just take it on. You constantly have to do it um, just to build up that skill. And one of the things that you said, Tim, was you know, me, when I became a first time supervisor, you know, I had assumptions that everybody knew what I knew. And why, why can't you just do this? Or why can't you just do that? But and then I realized that not everybody has the capability or the capacity to do what I do. You know, and, you know, like you said, you know, like maybe Michael Jordan, you know, he doesn't understand how somebody just can't operate at his level, but then he puts in that much effort and work into what he does. And it just becomes natural for them. And same thing with the mentoring. It just becomes a natural thing. You, you take a mentoring uh, position. But what I, what I tell people is you have to build a foundation because if you don't build that foundation, it's like building a house. You build a, if you're building on top of an already badly built foundation, you're just setting yourself up for failure. So you have to kind of scale it back and say, hey, these are the basic principles and let's start over. Let's do what we need to do. Nice. You know, if I were to, not that you asked, but if I were to share just a couple of foundational elements of good leadership that, you know, leadership really is comprised of, you know, multiple things. There are, you know, we've identified 10 core competencies within each of those competencies. There's at least 10 to 12 skills and tactics associated with that. So there, you know, hundreds of, of things that leaders have to master to pull off. But if I were to identify for everybody on here some foundational pieces that are going to keep you, you know, your head above water and be be recognized as a good leader, the things I would tell you to concentrate on are communication is going to save a ton of ills. You know, if you communicate effectively, clearly, listen well, manage your tone, you're going to do okay. The other one is build solid within boundary relationships with your team members. Uh, your, Your team craves, and that word is chosen purposefully, they crave a meaningful connectivity with you, and they have that deep social-based need to have relational connectivity. So build that connectivity with them, not friends, but just a nice relational connectivity. And then the third thing is go out of your way. Matter of fact, get uncomfortable with providing positive feedback. You know, when your mind starts saying, man, I said thank you to Rachel 74 times. When your mind starts processing, I have done that a lot. You're darn close to where you should be. 
Uh, you got to get uncomfortable at it because if you're not uncomfortable at it, you're not meeting the needs of your team members, that, that self-esteem based need. And those three elements right there, those, those three kind of big rocks, if you can knock those down early in your career, if you can knock those down prior to your promotion, man, those are powerful, powerful things for you to take with you. And FYI, those three things serve you pretty darn well in life and not just in the workplace too. Yeah, it's so well said, sir. You know, a lot of people need that positive reinforcement, but oftentimes you find leaders that say, well, I'm not here to provide you that positive reinforcement. I'm here to, you know, provide you your work for the day or whatever it may be. But I don't think that um, there's a lot of leaders out there that truly understand the effect and how powerful positive reinforcement and positive constructive criticism truly can be. Uh, Rachel, you are you are so right. Uh, it, there's two phenomenons, you know, out there. There's that real arcane old school look that is, you know, Rachel, I, I pay you to do a good job. You don't need to hear it from me. Mercifully, that's kind of going away a bit. The other one is a little bit more complicated, and that is that there are a lot of leaders, and this is kind of a system failure, I guess, if you will. A lot of leaders recognize it. So so I see, okay, Rachel, you have done a good job. I see it. I cognizantly process that. I know it. I, I, I see it. And I know that I should go tell you about it. But then, whether it's deadline pressure, whether it's workload pressure, whether it's, you know, plain and simply, I just don't choose to prioritize it, you know, whatever it is, it never gets translated into an actual action or into an actual, hey, Rachel, you did a great job with. And it, it really is about kind of relearning the piece of, yeah, I, she did a great job. I need to stand up, prioritize, walk out of my office, go say, Rachel, you did a great job with that. Thank you so much. Leaders need to make sure they understand that is job one. Your email inbox is still going to be there. I promise. The deadline <laughs> on your spreadsheet is still going to be there. I promise it is. Go do the right thing and provide that positive feedback. The organizations and work cultures that embrace the positive feedback piece uh, perform at a uh, significantly higher level than any of their peers. Uh, the data and the research that we've done over the last couple of decades uh, related to that is they will perform at a 90 percentile above uh, organizations that do not uh, engage in meaningful levels of personally provided positive feedback. So, you know, this is more than just feeling good. This is really about moving the performance elements, the customer service levels, all those things in your working environment. Absolutely. And, and Tim, what, one of the things that was said earlier is, you know, a lot of people don't learn any leadership at all at school. That's not taught. And, you know, when you get to an organization and I mean, you hear concepts of what a leader is or, you know, but how does one themselves recognize their own qualities when, you know, when when they know it's inside of them, but they really, you know, don't accept that they're they're the leaders in the industry. And, now, and I'll give you an example. I've mentored a lot of people. And I tell them, hey, you're 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 it. You know, how do you how do they learn to accept that role? Like, you know, uh, everybody knows that they're the leader, but they don't want to accept it themselves. Yeah. You know what? And, and there's two things there. You're right. Not a lot of organizations or not a lot of uh, universities teach leadership. They do a good job of teaching management, uh, not 
leadership. And then in, in industry specific, we do a good job of teaching, you know, hardcore technical skills. We can teach you how to be an electrical inspector. We can teach you, you know, elements of code, the laws of code. We can do all those things. Now, there's a, a, a couple of things about recognition. Not a lot of people self-recognize their own, uh, you know, kind of leadership aptitudes and abilities. Uh, they often need that little push. You know, they need that, that you know, kind of begrudging promotion. They need that person in their life that says, you can do this. I have faith in you. So I, 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 I tell you what, perpetuating a, uh, a cycle where those uh, dialogues exist become very important because not a lot of people are going to self-recognize that. And in fact, that's very rare. What happens is people get some outside feedback. So Pete, you're telling them, hey, you, you'd make a great supervisor. You'd make a great manager, you know, you know, whatever it is. And then what happens is they hear that multiple times. Finally, there is a reconciliation internally that goes, you know, maybe, maybe I could pull this off. The other dynamic that comes into play in this is many of us have, me included, have worked for awful, awful bosses. And a lot of people carry deep down inside of them some fear-based responses that they don't want to grow up to be that awful leader and they don't want to be, you know, vilified and hated as that awful kind of boss type. Uh, now, what I will tell you and, and encourage everybody to kind of lock into is I think bad bosses are absolutely horrible, but they're also great, great lesson teachers. They are, they are, you know, if you can sit back, if you have the ability, if you have the emotional intelligence to step back and say, you know what, that guy was an absolute fill in the blank. I know this is a family show. I can't use my entire vocabulary. <laughs> this person was a blank. Uh, and, and I am not going to replicate any of these kind of specific behaviors. When you're able to do that, you'll take a great lesson from that from that bad boss. When you worry and fret that you're going to turn into that bad boss, that could be very self-defeating for you. And, and, and really you can kind of struggle with that. I don't want to grow up to kind of be from, from that. Uh, it does become at the end of the day, it becomes a choice of uh, how you want to do it. And then other, one other kind of obstacle out there, Pete, is that we as leaders, sometimes aren't the best at being good role models for what leadership is about. So we tell somebody, uh, yeah, you know what? I really think you could do it. I really think you could be a code enforcement supervisor. But yet they see all the stress, all the time, all the you know stuff that we go through. You know, we don't do a very good job of protecting that. They look at it and go, heck, I don't want to be like you. You know what? It, you're you're losing your hair. You're you you get you're cranky about half the time. I don't want to be like you, and so we as leaders, existing leaders, have to do a better job of modeling what really good leadership looks like if we want others to jump up and join us in that. And and we had uh, Jose Roy uh, join us live from Pittsburgh uh, last week on our live program on the Tuesday show. And, you know, he, he explained, you know, and he's actually on the call and he did explain why he joins a lot of these committees to be an example for his people. It's, it's important. I, I 100% agree because, you know, if 
some of the po- pictures I posted of myself are like me in a hazmat suit or something. And I, I love telling my people, hey, if you're in the trenches, I'll be in the trenches with you if I need to be. If I don't have to be, I don't. I won't, but I'm willing and able to do it. And I think that's a lot of, um, you get a lot of supervisors that, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And and that's a common, that's a common thing that a lot of um, people see out in the field, especially like if, if you feel that you're, supervisor doesn't know anything about code enforcement a lot of times they're not put there because uh because of their technical skills they're put there because of their management skills and and people need to understand that well and and pete sometimes we do a very poor job about you know being uh, overly transparent you know we'll go to a meeting or something we'll come back and go oh yeah they cut our budget again and oh yeah they don't understand code enforcement they, you know we've got to learn that if we want folks to grow up to be us and above we have to model the behaviors that would want that would let somebody want to be us not you know us walking around the workplace looking like and sounding like eeyore isn't going to accomplish that <laughs> you know uh, yeah, or, or or that, you know, constantly coming down from the, you know, senior level meetings and acting and looking beat up. That's just not going to cut it for us. And w- one of the other questions that normally comes up, what do you what do you do when when you, you, you're that supervisor and you you may be you recognize that you're not a good supervisor? You know, for, for those guys, what, what do you say to those guys? <laughs> uh, leave, quit, <laughs> self, uh, self terminate. I don't, you know, and, and there are those, I mean, there, there are those folks that, you know, they make that recognition that they got the promotion for all the wrong reasons. They never embraced the skills. Now the good news is, uh, the good news is, Leadership is a learned set of skills and behaviors. If you choose to learn them and make a change, you will be successful. There's no doubt about it. But if you want to, you know, just kind of dig in and say, you know what, I've been doing this 25 years. I am not going to give, you know, start caring about my people now. I'm not going to start communicating with my people now. I'm not going to start providing positive feedback now. If you're there, you are stuck. Now, the good news is ultimately that will catch up with you. You are not going to be successful in that kind of role for very long. But the good news, the optimistic piece is that if you want, I mean, even if you recognize right now, hey, man, I am not doing a good job at this leadership thing. Well, you know what? It is learned. It is, you know, it is a set of progressive skills and competencies. And you'll be able to be okay if you embrace that and truly unlearn the bad stuff and learn the new stuff. Well, really, and aren't you always learning with leadership? I mean, the world is forever changing, so leadership forever has to change, correct? It is. It's, uh, you know, I had a gentleman I was coaching uh, earlier this week, and he said, you know, I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling like I'm kind of at the the end stage of that. And I kind of shook my head at him and I, I smiled. I said, there is no end stage. Uh, it, it is. Leadership is a constant process of learning. It's a constant process of unlearning. It's a process of, you know, constant set of kind of challenging yourself to, to do new and different things. And as a leader, you can't be that soul that is, you know, grappling 
grasping your IBM Selectric typewriter as they're trying to put a laptop in front of your face. You got to be able to be flexible and dynamic and roll with the flow. I mean, if 2019 and 2020 didn't teach us anything, it was that the best leaders are going to be highly flexible, highly dynamic, highly adaptive in their approach. And you know what? This isn't going to be the last major change that's seen in our li- lifetimes. We've, we've gone through this before and we'll go through it again. Uh, and the only way we get through that is by continuously learning and growing. So, um, Tim, uh, we're, we're reaching out. I told you the hour would go by like really quick. So we're at an hour. So um, what, what I want to tell everybody. Um, so, Tim, I'm going to put Tim's information here. Uh, Tim, can you tell us how people can reach you if they have any questions or they, you know, they'd like to talk to you or anything like that? Absolutely. Uh, and that is uh, perfectly done. Uh, our website is www.discoveragis.com. Uh, you can reach us via email at info at discoveragis.com. And our office number is area code 702 685 2603. And if any of you have any specific questions or comments, I would be thrilled uh, to help you with that or to answer any that you have. Uh, and it works plain and simply if you're a little bit frustrated and just want to talk a little bit. I'm I'm generally amicable to that too. Uh, if, if Pete starts calling a little bit too often, I will probably change that office number but uh for the rest of you uh please please feel free to reach out and and call at any time it's been an absolute pleasure and we appreciate your time uh um just just a couple quick notes uh ace is coming up next month that's the annual um code enforcement national conference which is in glendale arizona uh tim will be at educode 2022 that's the last week of february early uh, days of march so look out for that. At, um, it's brought on by the Southern uh, Nevada Region uh, ICC chapter. So look out for that. Um, and again, thank you so much. This will be available on Spotify within maybe the next next few days. So feel free to listen to it on your way home. It's, it's a great topic. I knew we wouldn't run out of time, but I love having Tim here. He's like, he can go nonstop. This is just an hour. I mean, this guy gives you eight hours of good content. That's because we're asking him a bunch of questions. And right. imagine if the audience was asking questions too. But thank you very much. And thank you for joining us. And we appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Thank, thank you, you, Tim. Rachel. Pleasure having you on today. If we could take all the information that you gave us and make a little pocket Tim card, I'd like to do that. So thank you very much for being on with us today. Uh, Rachel, Pete, thank you all very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us today.